Yeah, I just remembered it. With all the correct pauses. Um, yep. The right comedy timing. Uh, remember to not say all the slurs. Okay, so let's make a list of slurs we can't say. <laughs> <The kiss. laughs> right, but like, don't type them in the chat. I want to, I need yeah. to like hear you pronounce them. Oh, yeah, I see no. what you're saying. I was, I'm drinking this um, uh, hydrogen peroxide. I thought you meant not slurring. Oh, <laughs> that would be hard for me. Well, you know how it goes in Mexico. I don't know the punchline to this. I've been reading um, Paul Theroux's the, the Great Patagonian Express. I was reading it on the train. Uh, for some reason, I have I love Paul Theroux, and I have not read it, even though it's been sitting on my shelf forever. But I was taking the train to New York, and I needed a small paperback instead of a big hardcover. So I took it, and he's currently going through Mexico and there are some um, very humorous parts, but I asked Ramona to, to uh, validate them. And she said, you should talk to David. I think he was around for more than that. And I should say this is written in 1978. So I don't think you were actually around. No, but I was, I was here not too long after. Yeah. Well, Ramona was saying that like NAFTA has changed so much about Mexico that a lot of just like even cultural observations from that time would be unfamiliar now. I think that's true. And also I rode a train when I first came to Mexico and there haven't been passenger trains since really the, the late eighties, I think maybe the early nineties, although there's a great big one they're building all the way out the Yucatan. Uh, really? Yeah. And there's a well, lot you have of nice buses, right? You have nice, nice cross country buses. Oh, we have the best in the world buses. I've heard. I want to try them. Yeah. But don't the cartels run all that? What's that? Don't the cartels run all that? Uh, I think that that's something they don't run. <laughs> I have to warn you, I'm constantly around uh, people now who are terrified of everything in the world. So I, um, I have to, I have to think these things about everything. Like I, I just got back from New York, and I, I was saying to my class, like, uh, yeah, you guys like going to New York, and the guy in the front row says, "Man, you got to look over your shoulder all the time there." And I just started laughing. I was like, "Why <laughs> New York?" What are you looking over your shoulder for? Like, <laughs> it's like one of the safest. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's one of the safest big cities in the world. Like, there are a few places you could walk around of that size in the world and be assured that nothing, you know, unusual is going to happen. Like, I mean, like, oh, yeah, I'm walking on Park Slope. Like, oh god, don't get. Well, you're looking at all the all the nice all the pretty buildings. That's looking all over your shoulder. Looking Maybe that's what he meant. Over your... <laughs> He's looking back over his shoulder at the Chrysler Building. <laughs> wow the flat iron building uh, yeah all of them. he's running away from the uh triangle shirt waist factory <laughs> looking over his shoulder the locked doors i don't know it's weird it's weird i mean we have hello we are a uh, podcast about uh, southern culture and politics called attica shrug we're talking about new york um yeah but I, I said this, I said this, I have these students now and I, I say to them all the time, like that there's, you know, where I'm from, that's kind of a reactionary thing or just everyone reflexively will say like, you know, Ooh, New York, that's a scary place. Or like I'm moving to Massachusetts and the what first comment I got from a neighbor was like, you're going to be up there around all those Democrats. Yeah. You mean Taxatusets. Yeah. I It turns right. out I'm in the part of Massachusetts where uh, you aren't around all them Democrats. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Blue Lives Matter, Massachusetts. 
<laughs> like pretty much literally. I am. If you look at a map of Massachusetts, there's a, a thin blue line that goes around part of it. I'm in that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Well, I mean, so I guess we can we can get into talking about. So I did want to talk about that. So I move uh, to Ma- you, some people might notice, like not many really, but you might have noticed we did do the podcast for like two years because I was in England and uh, which is not a real country, um, and I it's a different time zone, uh, and so we didn't record for a while, and now I'm back in America, which is a sensible place with sensible time zones. God bless and, and the United are, States. Back in the United, United States. States. I keep telling people it's weird for me to like, I'm the person who's like, let me back in. I want, I want back into that. I'm sure I'll live to regret it at some point, but. Well, live. I mean, you'll regret it. Maybe you won't live to regret it. Come on. Every, every person who's born in the UK regrets it. Really. (laughs) From From what I gather from their conversation with each other. It's kind of part of the bit. But anyway, I now live in New England, a place where I'd never been before. I have no experience. I know no understanding of it. And like, it's weird because we spend a lot of time talking about the South. And we've talked about, because I'm from Florida, that the difference that Florida is the South, but is a different part. I feel like this part of the world I'm in now is like bizarro Florida. I keep calling it Yankee Florida. And that's what it feels like. Florida. Do you mean that very specific part of Massachusetts? I think it is that because I'm on Cape Cod. Okay. And my oh, and also, is, hmm. I think an awful lot of the U.S. is just bizarro Florida. Well, it's because we pick up. We are kind of the sponge. We absorb the rest of the country as they drop off uh, and float down, roll down until they hit rock bottom. We get them in Florida. So, you know, everyone in America is either actually or metaphorically on their way to Florida. Did Ron DeSantis say something about make America Florida or something he like did. that? He did, which is really appealing when you're campaigning nationally. Um, <laughs> of your real knowledge about like your image across the, across the country. Um, you know, and if it was like in, in cool ways, like sure, if it was like everyone's going to have uh, alligators on their golf course. Yes, I'm for it. Like, you know, uh, you're going to have nice beaches, sure. Uh, someone drowns about once a week um, because they don't understand how uh, rip currents work. You know, someone falls off a balcony periodically, sure. Um, there's a sack of weed and cash under the uh, party barge parked at the elementary school, yes. But I don't think that's what he meant. You, um, just... you, uh, every, every two or three years, uh, a large part of your neighborhood is destroyed by a hurricane. Yeah, or a sinkhole. Or a sinkhole. <laughs> Or a sinkhole. You can go to the car dealership and like Tim Tebow's cousin is there. <laughs> you can do that. Um, what did David just explode and disappeared? That was weird. Uh, so no, you know, those kind of Florida. I think there's fun Florida stuff. There's great Florida stuff. I love it. You you can wear uh, flip flops wherever you want any time of year. I don't think that's what Ron DeSantis meant though. I don't think he's a wearing flip flops at any time of year kind of guy. I've had um, at least one person who I know who lives in Florida, who I might or might not be related to, tell me that Florida is uh, going to the dogs because people from Massachusetts, Texas, and California have screwed up where they live so badly, and they're all moving to Florida now where everything's great, and um, that they're in the process of screwing it up there. 
And then I had someone in Tennessee who I might or might not be related to tell me the exact same thing about East Tennessee. Well, she, they, this undisclosed person, is correct, but in the exact wrong way, which is that uh, we do have people from all over the country moving to Florida, and they want it to be like the Florida in their imagination, right? Which is uh, not what I remember Florida being, um, but uh, but what they imagine it is like people who want to run away from uh, states that are controlled by democratic governments and run to some, something that might be a haven for them. And they've worked really hard on making that it that way. But the, to the extent that Florida is kind of falling apart, it's because of that, I would say, and because we have a governor who's only running for president, uh, not being a governor. And so all of the kind of national conservative imaginary is being done in Florida. And that's what's making it suck. Like, you know, your school can't have books in it. You know, that sucks. Um, I think there's a... Be- there's a degree to which is true about Tennessee too, but for a different reason, which is that um, being cheap and uh, quote unquote right to work, that a lot of people have made their big money in um, um, California or wherever they've made a lot of money. And then they come and it goes a lot further in East Tennessee and they can exploit labor there a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I mean, you're seeing that in Florida too, but it's working the opposite way because you're not getting, you know, Florida was a place, it was a Southern state that had a functional economy. And that was kind of its calling card for a long time was it was kind of like Georgia, kind of like Mississippi, kind of like Alabama, but we were one of those states that was kind of like broke even. And it's a not a great metric, but in the amount of federal tax dollars coming in versus going out, it's kind of a metric. Um, we were always like 50-50 on that. We we're okay. But, uh, you know, you can make it in Florida as a low-wage worker, but now you can't. So you're getting that uh, and you're getting just massive amounts of retirees. You're having 2 million um, former felons disenfranchised, even though we voted to give them their votes back. Uh, and so you're having like lots of just weird stuff. And you're having these real anti-immigrant bills that have been put in. So now you don't have that labor anymore um, and you don't have anybody to replace it. Uh, and I think it's the, the, the scenes are coming apart a bit. Um, also, you know, and it's all for Ron DeSantis is doing terrible in the national, like Republican primaries. And so it's all for nothing. It's all for just his ego, uh, for this like non-charismatic, um, dorm room refrigerator looking guy, this troll to, to, uh, try to try and fail miserably at running for president. Great. We even changed the law. You know, you're not supposed to be able to run for another office while you're governor of Florida. They changed the law just for Ron DeSantis to do this. And he's like coming in like eighth in New Hampshire or something. I was going to say that somebody that nobody ever from East Tennessee ever got really rich. And then I realized Bill Haslam had. And I'm wondering, why did Bill Haslam never run for president? Uh, all, I don't know. It feels like a lot of those. Well, what are the um, the super rich Tennessee political family, the hospital people? Uh, the, um, I don't know. The Johnny Humanity. Pilot. Um, pilot. Has on oil. And they're. The heart surgeon. The heart surgeon. He's governor of Tennessee. Yeah. Frist. Are you talking about Frist? Frist. The Frist. Yeah. Frist. I mean, they work on all that Frist. track, but it seems like they have too much money and power in Tennessee to run for president. 
Yeah, maybe they were just too smart. Maybe I think maybe they were a little bit too sensible to run for president. Could be it. You kind of got so their nutter. Want to do egos it. were already gratified enough by being billionaires. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in control of like the medical system and the state. Right. Pretty much. I mean, the Haslam's, you know, run like the University of Tennessee more or less, and all that, and you know, I guess I mean, yeah, you're right. Like. He was he was uh, governor of Tennessee, so he had some political aspirations. Mm-hmm. Maybe just enough to tailor Tennessee to make it very friendly to his business. Could be. They seem to do well. I mean, they seem to do well at it. Maybe I think Marsha Blackburn's crazy enough; she would do it. But maybe the chance just no. hasn't arrived yet. I mean, I, I, Florida is kind of a launching pad like that, but it's kind of a risk too because you, I mean, look at. Jeb didn't push through. I think that's what Rick Scott kind of wanted to do, but like, where's his chance? It's kind of gone now, and he looks like a space alien, so no one's going to nationally <laughs> vote for him. I mean, so many Florida politicians just don't have traction. I mean, it's set up because like the Republican Party in Florida just has who's up next, and they just put them through, um, and the Democratic Party of Florida kind of just falls down and takes a nap. Uh, I just don't think it works. I just don't think it plays nationally. As you're seeing, with, I mean, DeSantis is like the least charismatic. Uh, candidate for office of all time. Yeah. Captain of the Yale baseball team. I read the other day that he, he was captain because there didn't have any other seniors that year. That he kind of puts it in all the stuff. <laughs> to be, to be captain of the Yale baseball team, but that what actually happened was they ran out of seniors, and he was he was there, which seems kind of to yeah, be. That's all that matters. All that matters. Speaking of all that matters, I walked in. There's a guitar center next to Fenway Park, and I walked in it the other day, and there was just this kid, um, this metal kid, just like shredding Metallica, and that's like all. That's all you could hear in the whole store was he was just sitting in the back with a guitar that he's never going to buy, playing Inner Sandman as loud as possible throughout the whole store. And then I looked up, and there's a banjo like half-assed stuck to the wall, and it says the Dropkick Murphys' first banjo. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just got straight into the culture in Massachusetts. Came right to the heart. That's it. Right there in the middle of it. All right, there's two There's two ways to go with that. Two, two topics I want to talk about. Since we're talking about the heart of culture in Massachusetts, I have a really strange thing that happened last week, and I keep telling uh, the students that I'm teaching that this is my number one topic of conversation uh, everywhere I go. So I'll, I'll try it out on you guys. So I ask, when I call roll, um, I ask like a warm-up question, just like, been talking and they've been pretty good about it they've been pretty interesting and they seem to like it they keep asking for more questions so a week or so ago i asked um like what were you listening to this summer what was like the 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 artist or like the album or the song or the song that you kept listening to right so no lie about 90 percent of them were all country music and it was not broadly country music it was not like all country music it was a very specific kind of country music would you like to take a guess what kind of country music uh, here like what was it a uh, popular country like um well it's very popular but like was it try that in a small town yep that was it uh it was jason aldean luke combs morgan wallen um, from Sneedville, Morgan Wallen from Sneedville, uh, yeah. and like that, and it was like over, so I have three classes, right, and each of them like 25 students or so, and so the first class was like that, and I was kind of laughing, I'm like, this is funny, you guys like listen to like 
bad country music. That's interesting. Next class, exact same thing. Right, so it's like pause, pause, but like time out. Like, what's going on here? Like, I thought when I moved to Massachusetts, you guys would be like, oh, yeah, we all we listen to is like the, you know, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tone on repeat. I didn't actually expect that, but I expected, I don't know, it was something. We listened to Sea Shanties, I don't know. Um, and Aerosmith. <laughs> right. Yeah, Beyonce. you're right. Huh? At least Beyonce. Or just Boston. We listened to the band Boston over and over again. <laughs> um, something, right? Uh, the Irish Travelers. I don't know. Uh, they, but they don't. They all listen to the same, like, super bro country music, right? And so I kept kind of, so it dawned on me at some point, okay, I think I understand what's going on here. But I tried to kind of just probe that. Like, why, why do you, why do you, why does, like, you know, Jason Aldean appeal to you? And none of them, they're like, it's just fun. It's just, you know, it's kind of music. It's fun. I like it. Uh, it's just kind of music I like. Okay, well, like, you listen to, like, other country music? Well, yeah, I listen to, like, Luke Holmes, Morgan Wallen. It's the same over and over for everybody. So three straight, straight classes of this. And I kept pausing and being like, what is, what is good? This is really weird to me as a person from the South who has listened to a ton of country music. This is very odd. I did not expect this, and I didn't expect that it would all be one very specific kind of country music so i'll put that out to you what, what do you think's going on here i think i know but i mean for me it's just like i don't my what i know about mainstream american culture these days i've been out of the country for five or six years now <clears throat> and so i mostly get it through the media and uh there's a couple of different narratives specifically about aldine one of which is that people just love him because he's talking about the values that they love, which are conservative values. And the other is that he's been sort of astroturfed into popularity by right-wing media. And I think probably the truth lies somewhere in between, but closer to people just like him because people love always and always will like crappy music. And, you know, yeah. if you're in Massachusetts, you're not worried about, like that other song that everybody was liking not long ago. Uh, Rich oh, Man, somebody named that one. Yeah, yeah. It was Anthony Oliver. Rich it took me a second when the guy Rich said Man. that. Yeah. And I was like, you know, oh, that song seems kind of just like average to me. Like, do you, do you really like it? It's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what, what kind of do you like about that song? I don't know. It's just the kind of song I like. Well, that's the thing is that to me, that song has at least sonically has a kind of Southern authenticity that I would think doesn't travel as well. I mean, Jason Aldean is the type of country that is really just pop music with a twang. Mm -hmm. It's not especially country. Um, um, and it's not, you know, you, you can't hear any roots in it. It's all studio. Uh, whereas uh, Richmond, North of Richmond is in the style of, uh, like mountain music with some bluegrass influence. It's got the hard, hard twang. Um, uh, I don't know that that says anything about it, its authenticity, but it, it feels more regional as opposed to, you know, like, uh, I don't know, uh, people who drive SUVs all over the world listen to the same country music, I would think. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's like country music has really become indistinguishable from like pop, I mean, from like 
pop music. And so it's like, it, you know, it's like you like, you know, some people like, I don't know, what's a hard rocking song out, right? I don't know. Some people like, actually, I don't know any pop, uh, you know, some people <laughs> like Aerosmith. Some people, yeah, they nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> all time. Yeah, like all, all this new music, all this the, these young people listening to Aerosmith. Like, I don't driving like, and crying, like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Jackson, you know. But basically, you got your Aerosmith, Michael Jackson, and then you got country music, and it's all yeah, indistinguishable. The, I mean, it's all kind of the Bangles. I mean, it could all be played like on a top. I guess it could all be played like on a top forty station. I mean, a lot of this stuff could be. You know, it's not that uh, big of a difference. It's kind of like when Bon Jovi started making like country music. Like he had like that country kind of phase that he went through, and, it, and the music didn't really sound any different than like what he was doing like an album or two like before that. I think he had a, a duet with Sugarland. If I he did, that. I think so. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, so like the I had forgotten exactly who Morgan Wallen was before they they brought it up, but he's the guy who was recorded saying uh, the N-word, and then his album sales went up after it, if I remember mm. correctly. What a weird coincidence. Yeah, it's very strange. I, I'm not saying that has anything to do with why my students seem to gravitate towards this music, but... Uh, yeah, this 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 summer, uh, this June, I was in Japan, and I had to waste a big block of time like waiting for a hotel I could go stay at. And so I went to a laundromat, because it was really hot outside, and you could sit in the laundromat, and the air conditioner was on. And... Uh, I was doing some laundry too. And there was, um, I don't know, like it was a radio or just like piped in music. It was like the same five songs. And one of them was like that, whatever the popular Morgan Wallen song about last night. We, yeah, it's about whiskey, drinking whiskey. And it's the worst fucking song I've ever heard in my life. It's so bad. I'm trying to think, does that one have a pickup truck in it? Uh, it might have a girl in a pickup truck and maybe they drink whiskey in it. It could, uh, you know, maybe they're just regular people trying to figure out life. Sometimes, um, sometimes those people drink wine because it's so much easier to rhyme. <laughs> yeah, but it's always like the kind of wine I never come across. Like it's like, uh, like cherry wine, like peach wine, cherry wine, you know, whatever, like a uh, homemade <laughs> wine, mud wine, uh, gun <laughs> wine. <laughs> the wine I squeeze out of my AR-15. I don't know. It's always something. It's got to. It Just orange juice that's been in the fridge for a really long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like but it's honestly, it's just. And I, I, I said to the class at one point, I think I was like, Morgan Wallen just sounds like bad trap music for white people to me, and uh, they, they laugh maybe a little bit, but I think they're uncomfortable. But I, I don't know, man. Is for some reason it shouldn't like preoccupy me so much but it's weirded me out because i think i think you know it's like just like a across america is kind of like a, a wink and a nod for like i really align with a certain kind of white culture and i'm not allowed to say that out loud and so i farm that out to this kind of country music that i listen to and that's that's what we all kind of share and listen to maybe it's less nefarious than that i don't know i mean even is that nefarious I don't know. I mean, you might have heard that Massachusetts has some race issues. I don't know if you ever heard about that before. I've heard something about that, yeah. I don't know if you, you watched the news in the 70s, in the 80s, <laughs> 90s. 90s. 2000s. Early 2000s. But I kind of feel like I bumped up against it, maybe. Well, 
And it's also like, I mean, this is also, yeah, it gets, maybe this is not as nefarious, but it is like, it's like suburb. I don't know. It's like music you listen to in the suburbs. I, um, I think you're right. I mean, maybe that's what I was trying to get at with like the top 40 stuff. It's like suburb music, but that is like, yeah, you, you live somewhere mm-hmm. outside the city where it's safe, um, where you can do whatever you want to but other people will not be allowed to do it. They will not be able to do things against you. You can go right. and drink and drive and drink beer under the pale moonlight uh, down by the river and shoot off your shotgun. But if other people were to try to do that to you, then, then in, a small would, you, yeah. in a small town. My favorite Jason is, is that he's from Macon, Georgia, which is the second largest city in Georgia, I believe, which the urban, uh, not just the city itself, but the urban area of Macon is 420,000 people. Um, and it's 56% black, I think. So I don't know what small town Jason Aldean is referencing, but I think I can imagine the small town that he is imagining when he says this stuff. Yeah. My small town. You know what I found out? I think my small town is smaller than Taswell, Chad. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I think we're less than a thousand people. Oh, yeah, then you're definitely... The city of Rockford? Rockford, yeah. I looked it up online, and it's like... um, It was like 842 and falling or something. (laughs) Falling down a well. (laughs) Falling in the quarry. Well, Falling falling over the dam, the mill dam. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, it's something maybe in Tazewell is like 8,000 or 10,000, maybe 8,000 or 9,000, and... uh, falling falling down when the when the trailer blows up when the meth lab blows when the trailer blows up from a meth lab explosion and i know destiny's in always the county 10, there used to be like 20 what destiny's always be ten thousand, but they keep changing the definitions of what destin is so i have no idea anymore it's now more of a state of mind is what they it is a state of mind. We we now have uh, the Valparaiso Airport is now the Destin Airport, and then the island is now West Destin, and then they have a part of town they called Old Destin now. <laughs> it's like a... oh, no, um, I we like, were oh sorry. No, I was looking at twenty three thousand. I mean twenty three hundred. Twenty three hundred is what Taswell has, and uh, New Taswell has <laughs> New Tas. Well, it depends on if you're counting Taswell and New Taswell as the same uh, as one town. I, I don't want to go on the record on a broadcast of saying whether I think New Taswell and Taswell are the same yeah. line thing. I don't even yeah. want to use the uh, dotted map. I tried not to use it because I know what controversy yeah. that can be. Talk about a, talk about third rails. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the, nine dash, the nine dash line uh, map of Taswell. Staying yeah. on the <laughs> well, we were talking about um, um, music and we were talking about um, music and identity and identifying with music and we were talking about how North you Florida think you're going? Declined. Uh, so I think that's our segue um, like the Bon Jovi <laughs> R.I.P. Talk about wearing flip flops all the time. Well, now our boy, our my boy, Jimmy Jimmy Buffett's gone to the big flip flop in the sky. He's sailed away. He's at the Margaritaville in space now. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Jimmy Buffett died, and I ain't feeling so good myself. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Buffett, seventy-seven, died of a rare kind of skin cancer, which seems appropriate. <laughs> 
for Jimmy. I'm sorry, Jimmy Buffett. But it seems kind of appropriate for Mr. Uh, Beach and Sand and Sun uh, uh, died last week, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, it's been it, a while. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to watch because I don't, uh, well, I have lots of thoughts on Jimmy Buffett. I actually went to school with his niece and nephew um, who used to fly around in his seaplane. Uh, and I remember when he crashed the seaplane, the nephew was like, yeah, I was, I was almost in that. I used to fly around in that. Um, uh, but Jimmy Buffett, you know, uh, being from the Gulf Coast, he is the, he is Mr. Gulf Coast, uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, history major uh, at Hattiesburg, University of Southern Mississippi, and, um, you know, got his start as a street musician in New Orleans, who re- relocated to Key West and, and hit it big. But um, I think he's more of an interesting figure than we might give him credit for. Uh, Jimmy Buffett. Um, I, I can give my opinions on him. I don't know. As a as a Gulf Coast person, I have lots of opinions on him. I, I, what is the what is the vision from outside of of Jimmy Jimmy Buffett? I just knew Jimmy Buffett as somebody who other people listen to and who I heard sometimes on the radio, and he had like very easy to remember lyrics because <laughs> yeah. I guess that means they were good lyrics. Like he told stories a lot of times in his. Um, uh, he was a little bit like um, um, Ray Stevens or um, some other people who wrote sort of right on the edge. Like Ray Stevens went into novelty songs a lot. Right. Uh, but maybe what's his name who did um, uh, King of the Road? Roger Miller. Maybe more like yeah. Roger Miller, who was a storyteller um, and Hoyt Axon and uh-huh. uh, sort of in that tradition, I thought, but then very beachy and all that. But, you know, I never... He was never my cup of tea, but I never had anything against him. He seemed like an okay guy. Like, I didn't know much about his politics. I assumed they were probably somewhere to the right of mine because um, he had a record contract. Now, but he's, well, he might be my Mr. Superlib, but like, he's a really, was a really decent guy um, from everything I've heard and super uh, big fundraiser for the Democratic Party and, uh, um, outspoken, you know, not outspoken a ton because it's just who he was, but he had, I think he was pretty straightforward about, about most things and on the right side of most things. Um, sorry, Chad, am I cutting you off? Do you have any deep oh, Jimmy Buffett oh, opinions no, that I mean, I'm trotting over? My Jimmy Buffett opinion. Well, I kind of, my, um, my, uh, my pathway to Jimmy Buffett was he was somebody, my dad was really into Jimmy Buffett, oh, um, really? which, which I guess he was, it was sort of like that, um. You know, like, uh, I think they were actually on um, kind of like... The same uh, label? The same label. No, no, they were on the same label. But, you know, it was, you know, about like the, I don't know, hating your job and wanting to get away and go to the beach, you know, like go to the beach and like, you know, live on the beach. And my dad was into that. uh, (laughs) He was down with that plan. He was down with that plan, even though he never, never executed that plan. He was down with it. And, um, and I, you know, I, I like, you know, his early, like that, I guess, well, it wouldn't have been early. It would have been his kind of, I guess the peak, like around when I was in high school, I listened to some of those, like his songs, like, um, Cheeseburger in Paradise. Cheeseburger in Paradise. <laughs> uh, was it, uh, Sailor Looks at 40, uh, or pirate. Is pirate. pirate pirate looks at 40 yeah, pirate looks at 40 all that i mean i thought those were really good song you know like yeah. i didn't really i kind of lost i didn't really keep up with jimmy buffett after that you know he continued to write 900 other songs after that but but that's kind of the thing like, like david you're saying is, 
Yeah, you were saying he's like like you know, race demon storyteller. I mean, I kind of put him in. I was thinking of trying to think about the other day, like maybe kind of like some of like they might be giant stuff. Whereas like clear, they're talented and smart, but they also like write joke songs sometimes. You know, like going yeah. down to Cowtown, and I love that song too, and it's silly. And but if you go back, you know, Jimmy Buffett, like Chad points out, I think he has a few songs that are upper echelon, like singer songwriter, really like tippy top great songs i think a pirate looks at 40 which you know is one of bob dylan's favorite songs uh so much that it's so that he made joan baez like perform it where is like the hollywood bowl or something he's like no we got to play jimmy buffett and so he makes her go out and play <laughs> a pirate looks at 40 uh with him which is funny to watch because neither of them know the lyrics uh and, and you know i think songs like that like you know his big breakthrough hit was you know come monday which i like a lot but it's not a great mm-hmm. song but it's a good like that period of time, like 70s singer-songwriter, it's completely functional within that genre and good. Um, and the interesting thing I think about Jimmy Buffett is like when you hear other musicians talk about him, like everybody who worked with him just loves him. Like Paul McCartney was like, oh, I loved working, playing with Jimmy Buffett. He was like the easiest guy to work with. Um, he would do great like harmonies for you, great guitar part. Bob Dylan always lists him as like one of his favorite songwriters. Um, you know, Jason Isbell was talking about like how much he loves uh, Jimmy Buffett and stuff the other day. And so I think he's kind of just one of those guys who's like competent. He was very, and, and one thing I really like about him, I will say, we were talking before we started recording, I finally got to see one of my favorite bands of all time the other night, Jawbreaker. And one thing that always made me nuts about Jawbreaker in the 90s was they seemed to hate that people loved them. They seemed to hate that people liked their music. They were really uncomfortable with the idea. Or even like, like didn't like it. They were not just uncomfortable. They were kind of anti being liked. Uh, and it seemed to me like Jimmy Buffett kind of figured it out really early on that like people like these songs and he writes kind of silly songs and, and um, people love to come watch him play those songs. And he, I've seen he has a list of like the 10 songs that they always have to play if they play live. And someone asked him about it. And he's like, well, those are the songs that make people happy when they come to see me live and they expect to hear them. And so we play them. That's great. I kind of like a, a musician realizing that and not being in turmoil at the idea that they're loved by their fan base. Yep, and love for a very specific body of work, even if that's old news to the uh, singer songwriter. You know, I think uh, I, I was thinking when we were talking about that whole tradition of being a really good songwriter who sometimes the songs are kind of silly or whatever mm-hmm. made me think of Warren Zevon too. Sure. Yeah. And I put him in, in kind of that category, although, you know, I think they're, they're both stronger. I think Jimmy Buffett, probably a better musician than, than Warren Zevon, but Warren Zevon probably wrote a little bit more hard hitting songs, but yeah, like Warren Zevon's like best songs are silly. Even when they're about something important or they have a deeper meaning. And he, you know, he kind of says werewolves of London is a nonsense song. He wrote it as a joke. Right. But then again, um, you don't. You never even call me by my name. Is written by uh, uh, Steve Goodman and John Prine as a joke song, right? So there's joke songs are fine. Like it might be the best country song ever written, and it's a joke song. Yeah. Um, and you know, even who who else was I thinking of? Like you know, so even John Prine, you know, who I think everyone thinks is one of the best songwriters who ever lived, uh, wrote your your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore, which is a great song, but it's a it's a novelty song. It's a funny song. Yeah, maybe not a novelty song, but it's a joke song. Um, but I always say, like, I think for me, like, there's a line, okay, and I'm a music snob. I confess, I'm a music snob. There's like, I think there's a line between good music and bad music, and that line is Jack Johnson. 
Um, and I don't know which side of the line he's on. I have feelings about it, but I can't say for certain which side of the line. And I think Jimmy Buffett is kind of easily over that. He's, he's cleared that hump. He's on the good side of that. He's like Jack Johnson and John Prine uh, getting together and, and playing music. So I put him in there somewhere. And even his really I, dumb songs, like Cheeseburger in Paradise is probably the dumbest song ever written, but it's a really good dumb song. I have no idea who Jack Johnson is. He's Mr. Surf Music. I thought that was Dick Dale. Well, Dick Dale and another time. Dick Dale's also from Massachusetts. Isn't that weird? Um, he must have been dreaming <laughs> about warm weather. Uh, Jack Johnson, you probably heard it. It's like the, I don't know, it's just surf guy music with an acoustic guitar, but it's not objectively bad. It's just not objectively good either. It's just there. I, I like it just fine. But I would never like play it for someone and say, you got to check out. You've got to check, check out. Your check out. <laughs> gonna, it's going to get you. It's going to make your heart is never going to recover from, from this, this song. But it's fine. Um, but I think Jimmy Buffett's a little bit over that. That like I think like again, Cheeseburger in Paradise. No way, no way around. Like if you just tell the lyrics to someone, it's absurd. It's a stupid song, but it will get stuck in your head forever because it's funny. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm, not just funny. I just, huh? I just looked up Jack Johnson, mm-hmm. and can tell you with almost one hundred percent certainty that I'm astounded at how long and how much music he's been making. And that I am almost certain I've never heard one song by him. But I have curious a, George. Are you a Curious George fan? Uh, I don't have children. <laughs> yeah, I have children to watch Curious hey. George. I, I, I love the books that that, that that show is based on. But, They're based uh, on Jack Johnson's music. Oh. <laughs> he was a monkey. Yeah, he was one of the monkeys. I know they're one, one of the monkeys. He was one of the, you know, uh, Mickey Dolan's has a new REM cover uh, album out. Oh, really? Or partially? Yeah, yeah, something. He's got a, like a, or an EP of REM covers. <laughs> yeah. Have you listened to it? I listened to uh, his "Shiny Happy People" cover. It's all right. I mean, it's better than the original, but that's not that hard. I haven't. Um, <laughs> Making a joke. I think him. the only. Um, 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 the only REM cover that I have ever heard, I think that was like recorded was um, somebody who did driver eight might've been Jason. What's Aldi. his name? Isbell or Jason. Isbell or Aldi. Oh, that's probably pretty good. He's perfect made to do that song, but his is like even sadder. <laughs> it just gets sadder and sadder. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that's who it was. Um, no, there's an excellent, uh, it came out in the 90s, it's called Surprise Your Pig, uh, it's an REM tribute album, and it's got, like, I think an Italian band plays, they play Driver 8? No, somebody's like, Jawbreaker's on it, Flag Camp's mm-hmm. on it, J-Church is on J-Church plays Don't Go Back mm-hmm. to Rockville, I think, mm-hmm. um, Vic Chestnut uh, is on it, it's got, like, it's really good, um, it's a good album. It's Am I going to have to, like... I think I'm going to have to take um, music at this point and put it in the same category as sports as something that I don't know enough about. <laughs> I used to know a lot about music, I thought, for a while. but uh, You know um, a lot about some music. I mean, about a certain, well, like, yeah. a, you know you know more about, like, a time period of music than, than 
than I do. You know more about the Talking Heads and like uh, that period than I do, which is a very good period of well, music. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. I, um, uh... You just weren't like picking up random uh, uh, punk compilations in the 1990s when someone like walked up to you in a parking lot and was like, hey, this is $5. Will you buy it? Well, that's the thing. I wasn't even in the U.S. very much in the 90s. So that's when I started losing touch with um, what was going on. I have to explain this to my students all the time. Like, I like, I like, I don't, there's this big block. Like, I don't know things. So, like, they're talking about the Taylor. Oh, no, my coworkers are talking about the Taylor Swift tour. I'm like, I don't, like, I'm sorry. I don't have anything against Taylor Swift. I don't know anything. I just, I don't. It's like a blank. I know nothing. I know nothing about it. It's a huge deal. It apparently is a huge deal, I hear, the Taylor Swift. Um, I mean, I was asking them, I was like, well, does like Mongol Hapyaku, when I talk to them, you feel like, oh my God, I, I remember when that album came out. Of course. Is the is Yaida Hitomi still do it for you? No, I don't think so. So <laughs> we, all, we all know what we know, I guess. Um, but do I have anything else about Jimmy Buffett? No, I mean, I think it holds up. It holds up. Uh, if you go back and listen to his 70s stuff, he's a great voice. Plays the acoustic guitar well. It's really good. If you go back, for some reason, there's a video of um, Come Monday that he made on his own with like his last $50 or something. And it's like perfect. We're talking about Florida. It's like him uh, driving his Boston Whaler around to pick up his girlfriend while they're both wearing jorts and flip-flops. It's (laughs) kind of of perfect. Uh, It's kind of perfect in that respect. But we can move on from Jimmy Buffett now. Um, What else do we need to talk about? Do we need to talk about ball hardware, Chad, or are you going to cry? On there. Oh, I was talking about don't do that in a small town. Um, <laughs> yeah, they did it. A, yeah, don't have a small business anymore in a small town. That's something you can't do. Uh, Tell me about it. Nobody yeah, wants I mean, to work. I, yeah, nobody wants. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to let people work anymore. <laughs> so I guess, as many of you know, you've been you. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, those of you who have been fans, fans of me for all these Ball years. Hardware. Ball hardware. Real After heads, 54. no. Real heads. Real Taswell heads, no. <laughs> yeah, real, real Taswell heads. No balls hardware. <laughs> um, yeah, they closed the the hardware store closed. They uh, after fifty four years. Um, what have they done to the old home place? What have what have they done to the old home place? It what is kind of talk. I mean, kind of indicative of a lot of stuff that's happening in small towns. Like talk. I was actually before. Before a uh, couple weeks, well, actually over this, not a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, talking to my mom, my mom talking about how hard it is to get her car worked on in Tazewell now because like the uh, all the mom and pop like mechanics have all retired and like their kids have their kids have either moved all the kids have either moved away or die, you know, OD'd or, you know, all the kids have died is a hopeful message for <laughs> rural America. <laughs> Well, everybody, I mean, anyone that's, I mean, very few people that have stuck around, I guess people that have stuck around haven't, they've all gone to work at the hospital um, or work in the factory. Nobody's all the small business, just there's like a factory in the hospital and that's, and actually they don't even, the hospital is not even uh, employing that many people. A lot of people are going to work at the hospital in like Middlesbrough and Harlan and places like that, um, like driving a couple hours. What's the factory like a railroad type factory? I forgot. What is it? No, it's a medical supply. There's two. Well, actually, there's two factories. There's a medical supply. Like, um, they make like uh, medical supplies. Like, they make surgical kits. Like, um, what do you call it? The hemostats. Is it the hemostats? Is that the okay. like the sure. like scalpels and I stuff mean, like a, that? They I'm make a doctor, so yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
thing is that uh, basically the rural workforce has been put to work keeping boomers alive. It makes basically, yeah, and keeping them and uh, recliners. The other places like a easy, like makes uh, chairs. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Makes furniture, and so yeah, like Balls Hardware. Like nobody is, uh, you know, there's no building. My uncle has kept it open for i mean it hasn't been doing well for a while i think the business has been not been good for a while but he's just kind of been keeping it open out of um spite spite out of spite uh but his health my uncle's health is declining and and he's kind of he's kind of winding his all his other businesses down too um and so that was part of, they've decided to to close the old home place down and yeah it is kind of like i don't know yeah i'm processing it uh emotionally uh as well it is kind of weird like rural america is like rural japan without the social safety net now now because like rural japan everything because all the kids moved to the cities for the last 40 plus years and then no one's there to do the work anymore but you do have robust federal funding for 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 older folks and all that like in america it's just like just kind of falls apart go do, yeah. go do op- opioids and crash out, I guess. I don't know. I wanted to ask about ball hardware. Did they, was that a place where people came and hung out in the morning on their way to oh. work? Or... Oh yeah. 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 Yes. Like they would open, they usually would open around seven or seven thirty, And so people would come in like before, you know, they would go to the factory or before they go to the, a lot of people, that's where a lot of the people that worked at the courthouse, like the courthouse, wouldn't usually open until nine o'clock. And, um, you know, that's like all the big, you know, Paul, like the tax assessor would be there, the registrar of deeds, um, you know, a lot of the warriors would come and hang out and then they'd be hanging out with like the factory, you know, they'd be hanging out with people going to work at the factory and that people that were actually, they were also hanging out with people that were actually there to buy hardware, like to buy stuff like, you know, to take to their jobs and and then all the star fuckers who just came to see the assessor of duty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there he is. We hear he hangs out there in the mornings. There he is, mm-hmm. the Caswell assessors of deeds. Yeah, it was well, like Aaron Hardy's. Like they'd hang out at Hardy's from like six to seven, and then like when the store would open, <laughs> they'd, you know, they head over from Hardy's to the store and. And, uh, and a lot of them would stay past nine, you know, like their secretaries would open up the office and they'd, you know, stay and, you know, they'd be there until nine 30 or, t- you know, roll into work a little late. Shooting the uh, shit, I believe lot, is the technical term. Yes. A lot like, um, a lot like a barbershop in the, like, I think a lot of small towns, mm-hmm. uh, a hardware store was always sort of the hub. I remember reading about uh, the the writer William Gay, who wrote uh, these sort of hardcore Gothic, Southern Gothic um, novels, and he he worked in heating and air conditioning for most of his life, and would hang out at the hardware store where nobody knew he was a writer. Apparently, <laughs> that was out in West Tennessee. Yeah, in urban studies, we call those third spaces, and all across the world, especially notoriously in America, we we are eradicating our third spaces, being your first space would be the home, second, your work, and then the third, the places where people kind of mingle and congregate. Um, so in Europe, those are often like beer halls and stuff, pubs in the UK, uh, in Japan, it would be like, you know, uh, 
stand-up bars, like bars and izakaya around train stations and stuff where people are on their way home from work and congregate. In America, we just kind of don't really have many third spaces and we're having less and less and less um, as we go forward. So especially in rural areas and stuff. And it's kind of one of the things that's funny that is kind of ridiculed for young people when they move to the city and they want these spaces. It's kind of one of the things people get made fun of, right? Like, oh, why do you want things close to your house where you can congregate with people? Why would human beings want something like that? That's weird. And especially uh, those sorts of spaces that you don't have to pay money to be in. You don't have to be consuming. Yeah. And then in so many cities in the U.S., they're making public spaces uncomfortable as possible because we have basically created such a huge homeless population in the country that um, people get scared because there's all these incredibly impoverished unhoused people who, if you've got a space where they can hang out without going to jail or having to spend money, they'll come there. And maybe if they're more uncomfortable, they'll, they'll have a house. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> if, if it hurts to sleep, you can generate a house. Most people don't know this, but if you lay down and there's a spike underneath you, like a, or like a lot of spikes, like six feet worth of spikes when you try to lay down and so you can never go to sleep because you have spikes sticking in you and you're too poor to even like buy a meal and you haven't had a shower in days and you can magically generate a home. I think that's how the Claytons uh, generate mobile homes. <laughs> Is that the factory? They pat- just... Yeah. They have patented, yeah, that's that patented Clayton technology. Um... I just have the sheriff go and run them out of their houses and then make them sleep <laughs> on the, on the cold pavement. Beds of spikes. Uh, they have they have like all these beds of spikes, and then uh, people just dream mobile homes and roll them off the line. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I, that's uh, where the been, other that's where a lot of other people in Tazewell went to work at the Clayton Homes Dream Factory. You can generate a double wide if you have people stand around with contempt for them. It's <laughs> true. Concern for safety. You know, I I watch a lot of these. Um, for some reason, every once in a while, I get on these things where I watch like reaction videos. I think this must be a big thing because there's a lot of reaction videos, and I don't know why I feel compelled to watch them, but I do from time to time. And uh, <laughs> they're always astonishing to me because, like, I am not sure how much the people are pretending to be completely ignorant about everything that's ever happened in the history of the world, or how much they're being honest about it. And I'm not sure which one scares me more. But I was watching one for Bruce Hornsby in the Rain's uh, changes the other day, and the people were like, "Listen, hold on a second. This is Tupac. This is Tupac." It's like, "Okay, yeah, good. That is that's where it comes from." And then like, I wonder if it's about the same thing, or did like they get this, these ideas like off a of, off a of Tupac? And, uh, but you know, it's one of those songs. It's like from you know. What, late 80s where it's essentially Bruce Hornsby in the range doing critical race theory uh, they'd be illegal to perform that that song in Florida now and people are confused about whether that's that's the thing I, oh I'm going off on another tangent these react do you watch reaction videos this is the thing people watch? I have I haven't in a while but I watched them for a lot for a while since twins the new trend uh, broke up you're not watching them anymore who has time for uh, reaction videos that aren't twins the new trend? Uh, me, people in academia have to sit around and like try not to grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, just complain about their job. Uh, so it's just funny because every, this is, we'll, we'll do like a whole episode about this. But it's like people 
and how much can you gauge? How much is this representative? I don't know. But they seem to just like think that songwriters in the 80s, songwriters in the 90s did not realize social problems existed and did not write about these things. And so like, you know, they'll play like Rage Against the Machine, like, oh man, they said that. It's like, yeah, they, it was, people were, you know, Rodney King happened in like 1992. We, we know collectively about these problems, you know, um, anyway. That's just well, then why didn't people anybody change? Why didn't anybody change that? Well, then there's the yeah, question. Songs about it. Why didn't anybody yeah. change? With that fat but, piano line and that rock and drum beat, why did they not change? <laughs> I kind of not to go back to uh, the hardware, but in the hardware store, yeah, I'll just yeah, say yeah. A little, one little thing about the, I had a conversation sitting around in that third space uh, in, mm-hmm. in Tazewell, right? Well, my, the last conversation I ever had in the hardware store, oh, the last oh. bullshit session I ever had, was um, this guy. Uh, actually, he used to be the registrar of the D. Uh, he used to be the, he's retired now, but he's always at the store. And he was asking, I guess like Mitch, it was right after I think Mitch had had his first, uh, his first episode. And he was talking about like, why doesn't, why in the hell doesn't Mitch retire? Why the hell doesn't Diane Feinstein retire? I just want to, I, I retired and I'm enjoying my life now. Why don't those people, why would they want to even put up with that bullshit? And they're not doing anything, Mitch or Diane. That was just, I thought I would share that. <laughs> the the no, voice of the people. Mm-hmm. That's just ageist and sexist and anti-Semitic, Chad. We gave, went over the list of slurs <laughs> to start this episode. And, yeah. uh, you know. Sometimes Mitch McConnell shits his pants. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Well, I'm just Sometimes. telling you what Tom Shoemate told me. That's all. Did he get his autograph? Tom Shoemate? Yeah, it's a former register of deeds of Taswell. I could. Come on. Get in there. All right. <sighs> well, we did it. We um, talked about... You know, I will say we had this hiatus, right? This brief hiatus. And um, I was worried that, like, Southern culture and politics will have some influence on the nation during that uh, year or two. And, you know, I don't think anything really happened. Fortunately, fortunately, nothing really happened in politics or culture yeah. in those two years. Yeah, fortunately, yeah, nothing nothing has happened here in Texas to affect. And yeah, I know nothing has uh, happened nothing in Tennessee. I mean, I'm checking in from Florida. I'm not in Florida, but checking in as a Floridian. Um, been pretty dormant two years really nothing going on uh just kind of ooh, keeping it on an even keel smooth sailing don't rock the boat yeah. uh mexico too uh, also uh, we've got we hear uh, a lot here in the local massachusetts news about how nothing's going on in mexico oh no doubt no doubt I hear that i hear often that well mexico nothing happening there it's a vacation yeah. paradise yeah, and uh, we, we definitely aren't using a uh, the governor of Florida and the governor of Texas definitely aren't using a company based out of my hometown in Florida to fly migrants from the Texas border to Martha's Vineyard as a um, insanely funny joke on on families. Or has the uh, the governor of Texas set up a saw like death trap in the Rio Grande to actually literally not a saw like actually saw no, actual saw. Yeah. I, was talking, I was talking about saw saw the movie, but. Uh, I know. saw the character, yeah. but these are Actual real saws. saw blades <laughs> on it. And then another, what another elementary school kid like drowned like yesterday. And probably while we were talking, probably where we talked, while we were talking, not even national news. Yeah. 
Uh, what are you gonna Pleasant. Do? It's 105. It's 105 here today. So, I mean, that's one reason we kind of stopped doing the podcast was because we solved we solved everything. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that we. And also, you were afraid. Afraid the power would the power would go out. It could go out any time. The grid could collapse. <laughs> the grid could go out. Your senator could be in Cancun, yucking it up. <laughs> yeah. How's the grid there in uh, Texas, Chad? Not good. It's um, actually a couple weeks. There was like from the time I got back from ten, from the time I got back from camp until about a week ago, there were like daily. There have been daily, uh, like grid warnings, like having everybody like don't use major appliances like during the day, and it was also it got to the point where don't you couldn't use major they asked you to not use major like don't use don't wash your clothes don't wash dish don't use a dishwasher before nine o'clock you know they were recommending no you know thermostats 80 degree because they were afraid that the 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 grid was gonna like the power was they were gonna have to start doing rolling blackouts and this was like probably like three week three or four weeks of this i'm just uh, hoping that, that dude roll this extreme weather will um well, just this is just a phase, and that everything will go back to normal or even better soon. I well, think, I think it's a phase. Yeah, it is a phase. Like it's phase one. It's phase one. That's what it is. As, as Congressman Steve Scalise said, it always gets hot in Louisiana. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. That's the sound. My butt hurt. Wow. <laughs> All right, we did it. There you go an episode there you go tell your friends well that's it for this episode we'll talk to you next time see you